Welcome to the Golf Monthly Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading this episode. We are back with a, a bigger, better, we hope, podcast for 2018. Um, if you've listened to um, our content in the past, you'll know that we've tended to focus on tournament reviews and previews, and there will still be a bit of that going forward, but only for the biggest tournaments. So if you are a big Nick Bonfield fan and you love very, very, very interesting stats, with the use of air quotes, uh, then there will still be some of that. Tom Clark, likewise, you'll hear his witterings, um, but only for the biggest tournaments. And in between, we want to provide um, some interviews. So one of the things we have access to at Golf Monthly is some really interesting people, whether they're players or they're other figures within the game. Um, these people have interesting stories to tell, and we felt like the podcast was the ideal platform to tell those stories. So without further ado, here's the first one. This is Ryan Fox. Um, just to give you a little bit of background in case you don't know, Ryan Fox is the son of the great Grant Fox, the, um, the all-black fly half. Uh, if, to put it in sort of British um, sporting terms, he would be a sort of Alan Shearer of his generation. You know, he played fly half for the all-blacks. He was the number one point scorer uh, and is, a, is an absolute legend. Ryan is his son and has obviously got the sporting gene, although didn't go on to play rugby, played golf instead. Um, played on the Challenge Tour for the last couple of years, uh, finally made his way onto the European Tour and then for three weeks in the summer of, of 2017 he made a lot of money by playing well at exactly the right moment. Three uh, Rolex Series events in a row, played really well, won plenty of money um, and has really elevated his position within the, in the game as a result of that. Um, he also hits the ball a country mile and we spoke about that, we spoke about how it makes other players feel when he plays alongside them. Uh, anyway, Ryan uh, was a really nice guy, really chatty and accommodating, happy to talk about whatever we had. So um, I'm going to hand over to the interview now. Enjoy. Thanks for joining us, Ryan. Um, now I'm going to start by um, bringing you back to the summer. And for a short period of time, you were something of a sort of social media star this summer. <laughs> Can you remember? It had something to do with hitting a shank and holding the next one, potentially. It was one of the more unusual moments on the European Tour this year. Tell us about it. Um, yeah, that one kind of came out of the blue, to be honest. Um, I actually played, I was two under through five and could have been through four under through five and stand on the 16. It's just a, I, it was 160 yards downwind, or maybe a little less than that. And it was perfect wedge for me. And <laughs> I managed to hit much more out of the socket than I did out of the, the club face and um, didn't really know what was I knew there was some gorse up by the green um, no one didn't get any there was quite a few people out, up by the green and you know I was I think third or fourth to last group that day and um, so I decided decided I'll hit a provisional and yeah, teed up the provisional which is always the hardest thing after you've just hit a hardest shot in golf right yep and yes, you know, literally same club. I think I'd move the tee peg an inch to the left, and bit a pretty good one. The next one, and um, sort of standing in the air, it was it was touch and go whether it was going to carry the bunker. And I go, oh, please carry. I don't really want to make seven here. And it carried the bunker. <laughs> and go, oh, I might make four. And then you hear the crowd go a little bit, 
nuts and all of a sudden it goes in and then I still had the uh, still had to go up and see if someone had found my ball obviously it didn't count yeah so were you telling everyone don't look for the ball don't look for the well ball. I, I sort of walked up and no one had seen it my girlfriend was up on the right of the green which is the direction you know pretty close to where the ball should have gone and I said did you see it hear it she goes no didn't see or hear a thing I was like that's perfect <laughs> and then wandered onto the green and, and picked it out of the hole and then that was that was a job done easy par yeah uh, so you've officially mastered the hardest shot in golf congratulations yeah <laughs> I will say it did uh, I did think about it the next couple of holes obviously I thought about it that shot but the next hole I think I had sandwich into the seventh and a lob wedge into the eighth it's and always the way isn't it yeah I, I, I will say it did cross my mind and luckily I think I had the sandwich the six foot and almost hold the lob wedge so I got the thoughts out of my head pretty quickly after <laughs> that but um, I'm still not sure where it comes where it came from and your own social media must have gone a bit crazy after that did it yeah yeah there was a lot of being tagged and stuff and I've, I'm not sure if I'm disappointed or not that they didn't get the first shot on, on camera but yeah um, you know it's nice to I guess be a little bit infamous in that regard. I yeah. think it's only been televised once. Someone holding out a third shot from uh, you know a provisional on a par three, and yeah, it was, yeah, it was not a little bit of well, just an interesting thing to do, really. And it <laughs> certainly th that shot helped around. I think I finished tied for fourth at the yeah. end of the day. So making six or seven there wouldn't have been too, too pretty for the scorecard. <laughs> and and so so for for those people who are listening to this, just um, paint a quick picture for where whereabouts we are. Uh, in the world obviously you guys travel around an awful lot but where are we um so we're at my second home here um fox hills in, in surrey um we got a we just bought an apartment in Adelston, which is about 10 minutes away and um spent a lot of time out here doing doing my practice when i'm back in london um you know spend the european summer in the uk and then luckily enough to leave the European winter at, behind and go back to New Zealand <laughs> for our, to get another summer. So yeah, it's a lovely place in the world here, just sitting in the manor house, um, which is part of the hotel and um, two, two great golf courses, a little nine hole par three course that we can see right yeah. here. And um, looking out over it, it looks quite tempting, but it's quite blowy out there actually, uh, quite windy. Yeah. Uh, and it's November the 22nd or something. so. Maybe a bit colder than it's, we'd like. To be fair, you don't want to play the uh, par three course on the wind. It's hard enough as it is. <laughs> do, do you get the chance to play? Oh, I was eager to ask tour professionals, do you ever get the chance to just enjoy playing golf as opposed to always feeling like you're having to grind out score? Do you ever come here and just have a knock with some friends? And Yeah, yeah. I got to know um, the pros out here really well. So we we would come out quite often and you know, play, in a, play in a buggy at... 4.30 in the afternoon when there's no one out on the golf course and I'd give them a couple of shots but it was more okay. actually more than a couple of shots I think it got to eight at one point <laughs> but you know it was it was good fun there'd be some banter and that you know that enjoy the social part of golf again um, I'm lucky enough I got some really good mates at home who I've played golf with say home back in New Zealand that I've played golf with since I was you know, 12 or 13 and it's the same thing. I tend to give them far too many shots, but it's not necessarily about the golf. It's about who can talk the much crap, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I take it you're pretty good at that. Yeah, I'm certainly not the best compared to some of those boys. Yeah. I, I tend to cop it quite a bit, but <laughs> but I tend to. They tend to get a couple of if, golf. If you're giving them eight shots, 
I mean, you don't need to do an awful lot of talking, I wouldn't have thought that. No, no, well, yeah, I, I, my boys here, I ended up getting between six and eight, and at home, um, my mates heard that Justin Rose plays off plus 10 when he's playing with his mates. <laughs> so they figured, oh, since I was on the European tour, I'm not quite Justin Rose, I can only play off plus eight. <laughs> so, yeah, I tend to give away a few, but, you know, that's, I guess that's a great thing about the handicap. Yeah. And for some reason when they end up playing they're all off single figures back back in New Zealand and when they end up playing off 15 they tend to play to 15 which is quite nice <laughs> um, okay right so in my hand here I've got two magazines right I've got Golf Monthly and I've got Rugby World which one do you want? the left one definitely although I'm I tend to read golf magazines and uh, and look at the tips and then try okay. to they can be quite dangerous. Can go, be dangerous. Oh, I might try that one. I'll see oh, yeah. if that one works. <laughs> we'll stick to the rugby then. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like watching rugby. I don't read too much about it, I have to say. Okay. But I yeah. do I do watch as many All Black games as I can. And um, obviously a, a bit more than... There was a fair bit of interest in the, in the All Blacks and the Lions earlier in the of year. Of course, and, yeah. Um, what was that like out on tour? Did, it, did many of the, the other the British golfers follow the Lions? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean... all. All the English boys are, are pretty into it. The Scottish are, um, and definitely the Irish boys are probably the most into it. Um, so I, I was quite chipper after the first game, um, thinking this is this is looking pretty good. And then, uh, yeah, I copped a fair bit after the first <laughs> game. Uh, after well, during games two and three. So, yeah. um, <laughs> you're in a minority as well. Yeah, you're yeah. I'm on, you know, the only yeah. only Kiwi guy on tour. There's a couple of caddies. Kiwi caddies out oh, here, right. and, um, you know, my girlfriend's from New Zealand as well, but we're we're vastly outnumbered. <laughs> so at least I can hold it over the South African boys. We've beaten them a couple of times this year, quite once very convincingly. So yeah. I quite like winding them up about it. <laughs> now we should probably say at this point that your your connection to rugby isn't just through the fact that you're a Kiwi. The connection runs slightly deeper than that, given that your father is. Uh, the great Grant Fox. I don't say that lightly because I was looking at his Wikipedia entry yesterday and it, it did say, and I wrote it down somewhere, I haven't got it here, but it did say, oh yeah, there you go, uh, one of the greatest fly halves in all black history. Um, yeah, he was, he was a very good player. I mean, I, I was six when he retired, so I don't remember a lot firsthand, but obviously have heard a lot and seen a lot of his old games on tape and, you know, whatever else. And, yeah, he was at one point was the highest point score point scorer for the All Blacks. Um, so yeah, it's pretty cool. So you know, I obviously grew up watching rugby, being involved with rugby from a very young age, and played all the way through school. And uh -huh. Dad coached me all the way through school. Um, and he's he's been. What, what position did you play? I didn't have a choice really. I had to play fly <laughs> off. So, well, actually, I. I say first five eight is what yes, that's that's, what, that's yeah. what it is in for us in New Zealand. So I didn't have didn't have a choice. I was always yeah always put there. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't say I was up to Dad's level. It that comes up with quite, quite a significant amount of pressure with it, doesn't it? Yep. And I was a goal kicker as well. But yeah, which didn't help things much. And I you know about the only thing I I could say I was probably better than Dad at is is tackling. I was a little <laughs> bit bigger than he was and. Um, I didn't mind getting, you know, whacked a bit. getting whacked a little bit, but 
in his defence, he also had someone called Michael Jones on the inside of him for the majority of his rugby career and probably didn't have to make too many tackles either. <laughs> himself, no. What, what was it like being, I, I mean, growing up, being the son of one of the sort of great sportsmen in the country? Because in, in UK terms, that would be, I mean, it would be a sort of, you know, David Beckham or Alan Shearer, you know, England striker, you know, in all black terms. It's a weird one. It was normal. Yeah. I, you know, obviously, he was, you know, he was just dad to me um obviously very proud of what he achieved but you know in the end it was um it was fairly normal you know people coming up to him in the street and talking about rugby and you know him being involved in the games and you know he did a lot of commentary as well um bit of coaching and everything like that so yeah it was you know it probably wasn't normal in terms of what most people think but from, you know, I didn't know any difference didn't so it felt different. fairly normal for yeah. me but you must have done some pretty I mean I've met some unbelievable people and done some spectacular things yeah I mean <laughs> yeah, I spent used to go in the changing rooms after the game when I was a young kid and even we were lucky enough when dad was coaching to be able to, to go in and talk to the players after the game which is obviously you don't get a chance to, to do that normally and um, you know, used to go kick a ball around Eden Park and you know, even been lucky enough and as a golfer to have access to you know had a sit down with Steve Hansen to talk about the mental side of sport and yeah um, same with Graham Henry and um, John Kerwin and you know that's uh, that's just because of who dad is yeah. you know it's uh, you know and it's great to have access to those kind of people Do you feel like you can really learn stuff you can like I mean it's it's obviously the sport different sports and there's slight you know there is variances in it but from the mental side of things it's very the the way you approach it is quite similar so now you're living in the UK I say living in the UK I mean do you consider yourself to be living in the UK um <laughs> or living in a, out of a suitcase pretty much out of a suitcase I mean I think we rented a place in the UK last year uh, for six months and I think I spent six weeks there total right um, and this this year would be even less, even though we've, we've bought a place now in Alliston. I think we've spent a grand total of two weeks, there will be equivalent of two weeks in it um, since we bought it in September. Right, yeah. Um, and we had a couple of weeks here before that staying at Airbnbs. So, right. yeah, it's it's a tough one. It's, you know, it seems like it, it's almost not worth it, but I did back and forth from New Zealand. Uh, my first year out on Challenge Tour in 2015, and it's just too hard. It's too much. You know, and it's nice being able to have a base and you know come home and repack, or just just to be able to sit on your own couch and yeah. be lazy and watch TV every now and again. As you know, it's amazing what that can do for yeah. you mentally. Just it relaxes you, refreshes There's you. There's a difference between being at home and being in a hotel. Isn't yeah, it? there is. Yeah. yeah, and you know where you can you know throw stuff on the floor and do your own washing and, and all of that stuff it just all those little things seem to add up just a little bit to, yeah. um, just to make you feel, just to have those little home comforts makes such a difference and you know we spend I think I've played 30 events this year um, or you know all over the world and yeah it's it's being at home is almost a ho almost a holiday yeah. and so it's you know it, that's really nice to, to be able to spend some time and I guess we're lucky enough to have two homes one in, in the UK and, and one back in New Zealand and so we, we're talking um, week after you finished in Dubai in the season um, 
four weeks was it in a row uh, yeah. competing at the highest level really trying you know to finish as high up in the race as you buy obviously now you're really looking forward to a break uh, what does that break look look like do you just completely put the golf clubs down and not touch them yeah yep yep so i've got one more event left at the aussie pga next week um you know that i guess that's just adding to the travel schedule after being i think china turkey south africa dubai and then back to london then then down to australia so definitely doing the miles yeah, and, racking up yeah. yeah so yeah one more one more push to the end of the year and then I'll hopefully put the sticks down for, for three or four weeks. Um, and what point during that three or four week stint do you start thinking, oh, okay, I can pick up a golf club again now? Well, I, I'll certainly, I won't, I say I'll put them down. I won't do any practice. I won't do any, um, won't do any work as such. You know, I'll, I'll, my dad plays a lot of golf. Well, I'm not sorry. My dad plays a bit of golf. He plays off four. So okay. I'm sure I'll have a game with him. Um, as I said, I've got mates that I've played golf with since I was 12 years old, and um, sort of doesn't feel, you know, doesn't feel like work. To, you know, yeah. I can go up, we can have some fun, you know, go have a drink or two afterwards, and you know, talk stick and catch up with, you know, it's it's the way, basically the way we we catch up. Yeah. You know, it's nice and so, you know, you do that in a pub in the UK in summer. Well, you know, we can do it. At, I guess in the golf course back home. And, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's it's good. They're all mad, mad keen golfers, so it's you know. It's, you get it's home and they're, they're desperate to take you back out onto the golf course again. Yeah, yeah, and I've got to give away so many shots, as I said. So <laughs> it's I've got to play half decent, but it, it's you know it's very relaxed. It's a bit of fun, and yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I won't do too much of it, but it might be a, a weekend or two where I'll, I'll go have a bash with them and yeah, do as probably do as much fishing and surfing as possible over. Yeah. I, over the summer in New Zealand and you know, ho hopefully be nice and fresh come Abu Dhabi the start of next year. Um, just looking back on 2017, um, great year, sort of established itself on the European tour, did well in the Rolex series events. W was there a moment during that the year where you thought to yourself, okay, look, I'm good enough now to compete at this level? Or did you think going into the year, I know I'm good enough to compete, I've just got to go and do it? It probably took a while to to figure it out. I mean, I, I'd i play with a lot at the back end of last year. I'd play with a lot of the top players in the world, you know, Jordan Spieth, Adam Scott, Dustin Johnson, and I'd played decent playing with them and felt a bit more comfortable in that situation. But that was more one-off events rather than, you know, having it week in, week out on tour. And it, it took a little bit this year to feel comfortable, but, you know, seeing those guys every, every week and I guess, being from New Zealand, it's we don't have access to that normally. So, all of, and I, I'm I'm a bit of a golf nerd. I watch a lot of golf on yeah, TV yeah. growing up and everything. So all of a sudden, competing with the guys that I grew up watching week in week out was a bit hard to get used to. And I guess the point for me was the middle of the year and the, those Rolex Series events in France, Ireland, and Scotland, where I, I you know, obviously I played really well those three weeks, but you know started to feel like I could compete with those guys. They were all top quality fields, and you know, three top tens in a row. And I felt like I had a chance—not a good chance—but I felt like I had a slim chance to win one of those tournaments if I'd have played really well on Sunday. Yeah. And you know, Tommy Fleetwood, John Rahm, and Rafa played yeah. unbelievable on on the Sunday to win those tournaments, and that's what you've got to do. But it didn't feel like that was 
a step too far. It, it was, you, yeah. yeah, it felt like, you know, I needed a great day and they don't come very often, but you know, it felt like it, it was a chance of it happening. Yeah. And you won, I mean, I was looking at it yesterday, you won the best part of 700 grand for three weeks work. <laughs> that must have been a nice feeling. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a strange one. Yeah, I'd never, I think my biggest paycheck up to that point was about 60,000 US or something like that. And then all of a sudden, I'm, yeah, to make three six-figure paychecks in, in three weeks um, and, you know, lock up a card, get in the open, got enough world ranking points to get to the PGA Championship. Um it all came quite quickly, but you know, it was a great feeling to know I had a job set up for next year. Obviously, better status than I had on the Challenge Tour, and makes it a little bit easier to, to plan a schedule. And, and on top of that, to start to feel comfortable competing against those top guys week in, week out. Yeah. So, if you if you're going to go out and celebrate that achievement with any of the guys on tour, who do you go with? Actually, what the Aussie boys I grew up playing, you know, with Jason Scrivener. Um, got to know Brett Rumfley quite well. Um, it's, it's quite a tough one actually, because obviously being the only Kiwi, you know, the, the guys from the countries tend to hang out together. You know, yeah. there's a lot of South Africans on tour, a lot of Australians on tour, a lot of English, a lot of French, Spanish. So I tend to just flit in between the group. So there's quite a there's quite a few guys I'd I could go. I'd like to go I'd get along with the South African boys really well, the Australian boys really well, as I said, a lot of the English boys. Um, Probably the one guy I like to go out with is Paul Dunn. He doesn't mind a good time either. <laughs> oh, that sounds good. That's a, um, and one, one thing that people listening to this probably do know about you is that you hit the ball a country mile off the tee. That you you are officially you were officially the longest drive on the European Tour in two thousand and seventeen. That's, that's cool. a nice feeling. Isn't yeah, it's it? cool. <laughs> doesn't it doesn't mean a lot if you can't translate it into actual scoring? But thankfully, I did that but still, well enough. It's this nice. Year. To, and, but I was. I mean, I hate to. Hate to sort of bring you back down to earth, but I was looking. 2015, your driving average was 330 yards off the tee. This year, you were down at 318. <laughs> yeah, but only I think in 15, I reckon I only played three events, and one of them was the Open, where the ball <laughs> right, goes okay. a long, long way on the ground. So, yeah, it was. Yeah, it's it's a nice thing to have a, a feather in the cap as such, but you know, in the end, it doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot if you can't translate it no. into into scores but um i guess what it does mean the long drives only counted on two holes so yeah it, it's not necessarily it, it's a decent reflection of it but not necessarily a perfect reflection but at least it shows that you've got to hit decent tee shots on those two holes yeah so i hit a lot of decent tee shots this year so yeah do, do you find yourself playing in tournaments where you feel like either that you're able to get take different lines to other players and you're able to be more aggressive in certain scenarios. Yeah, there's definitely been a few golf courses this this year that it's really felt like I could take some stuff out of play. Say Dubai last week was a perfect example. There was a lot of holes where there was bunkers at 300 yards to carry and being nice and warm, the ball tends to go quite far and I, a lot of those bunkers I could take out of play. And it's a bit depressing to hear you say that. <laughs> yeah, I'm, look, yeah, I'm, so, same in you know South Africa, the same thing. The ball goes a long way, and um, there was a yeah, even the Scottish Open, there was a couple of couple of holes where there was bunkers down at you know, I'm, I'm trying to convert it back to yards because I work in meters. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. two two eighty, two ninety yards. That if you could get past that fairway, opened up quite a lot, and you know some of them 
some of them played into the wind and I still was touch and go getting over those bunkers and all of a sudden the golf course played a little bit easier and yeah it's only good if you drive it well and luckily for the most part of the year I I drove it well and a lot of those events I could take advantage of of taking some of those different lines and taking some of those bunkers out of play yeah you know there's it's great hitting it being able to hit it far but you've also got the opposite that if you hit it far, you can also hit a long way offline. Line. Your margin of error is a lot cer- certainly had a couple of tournaments this year where it's gone the other way and, and bitten me in the ass pretty badly too. Well, that, well, you, you know, you live by the sword, you die by the yeah. sword. Eh? Um, but so, so two questions then. Firstly, what do you, what driver do you have in the bag? And secondly, can you give us an idea of your sort of typical launch monitor numbers, just so that people can feel really bad about their own yeah. games who are listening to this? So I've got the Shrixon <laughs> Z65 driver, right? Um, I think I'm one of the only guys using it on tour this year, um, and it's it's got a nice deep face, and like I I want a driver that spins as little as Low possible. As possible. Right. Um, so it works really well for me. It's got it comes off the face nice nice and hot and um, doesn't spin that much. So doesn't sometimes doesn't help the spin helps it keep keep it straight, but in terms of length, having the less spin the better. So in terms of typical launch monitor numbers, um, the average would be swing speed about 125 mile an hour. Um, launches about 10, right? Um, 10 to 11, and carries. I'll convert this back to yard. I convert it to yards. Carries about 310. 310. Yeah, but I've also had some this year, especially when it's been warm. Where the swing speed gets to, I can get it to about 130, 132, right. absolutely maxed out, and that's carrying sort of 340 plus. Wow! But that's wow. that's when conditions are absolutely perfect. Obviously, have you hit, did you hit a drive on tour this year that was particularly long? I hit two in a row at the Scottish Open that went well over 400 yards. Really? Yep. The do, do the other guys in the group? Do, do they? Do you ever get a comment from somebody else in the group? I had actually I had one this year. I hit one at Dunhill Links as well, playing with Luke Donald, and I had him by about ninety yards on the seventh hole at Kings Barnes. And there's been a couple of comments, just just not not necessarily comments, just the look and shake the head, really. <laughs> um, yeah, like, yeah, it's I've it's always been I've always hit it far as a kid. You know, yeah, I, and did you enjoy that part of it growing up? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I played a lot of cricket. I played a lot of tennis growing up as well, and that's all I did playing those two sports. I wanted to hit fours and sixes playing cricket and hit it hard, um, and I wanted to you know, smash serves and forehands and tennis basically. Yeah. So I took the same mentality into golf, and as a kid, I used to hit it quite far, but really not very straight. I was better at hitting someone else's fairway than my own fairway. And, <laughs> Um, thankfully I've reined it in a little bit as I've got older and as the golf courses have got a little bit tighter and a little bit harder well it's very it's a skill isn't it I mean at the end of the day it's a skill and and it's right that you're rewarded for that skill because if somebody has an unbelievable short game yeah never misses from five feet that's equally a skill that you expect to be rewarded for so yeah uh, to be fair that's a skill that's probably more important in this game. Right. You know, you can save a lot more shots around the greens than you can smashing it off the tee. But the smashing off the tee sometimes is the one that looks a lot better. You know? <laughs> but you can also say a lot of the guys in the top ten in the world at the moment they're long. They're long. You know, um, 
DJ obviously, Matsuyama's long, even though it doesn't look like it because he's got that that pause in the swing. Um, you know, Jason Day, Adam Scott, Rory, Rory, um, Justin Rose is long. Yeah, you know, it's it's definitely a trend, but the, those guys couple it with driving it fairly straight, and then obviously they've got the short game to back it up as well. Up. Yeah. So it's you know. The driving looks good, but you want the short game part of it, to be honest. <laughs> um, so one thing I wanted to ask you is, I'd, I'd read somewhere, I can't remember where it was that I read it, but that you were eventually going to want to play golf on the US tour. Is that the, still the case? Is that something that you'd like to, you'd like to go and do? I, I guess, I mean, the dream from when I started playing tournament golf was to play in the US. And that was probably the dream through amateur golf, but I'd never played in Europe at that point. Um, and then, uh, yeah, after spending a couple of years on Challenge and now one year on the European Tour, um, I don't know if the goals changed so much, but I've I've, en- I've really enjoyed playing in Europe. And if the opportunity presents itself to st- to play in the States, I'll certainly take take that chance. But I'm not going to go out and necessarily actively right. chase it. You know, the European Tour is going up and up now you know obviously with the Rolex series coming in and um, yeah it's I, I, yeah as I said I've just really enjoyed playing it and if I have a you know a career in Europe and I don't get to play in the States I, I you know I won't look back with any regrets at that but you know if the opportunity does come to to play on the PGA and, Tour and test yourself yeah yeah, yeah and obviously the fields are maybe a little stronger week in week out on the PGA Tour um, yeah, but the European Tour is again doing a great job of getting more and more of the top players to come and play those events in Europe. And um, did, did this year did it feel like there were more um, big tournaments on the tour? Yeah, well, uh, you know, talking to a lot of guys, a lot of events didn't go anywhere near as far down the category list, you know, into Q School really, or whatever yeah. as it has in previous years. And that's just because more guys at the top are playing, and that's. You know, that's because of the the Rolex series, and um, there's just that much more competition out here now. Yeah. I, I think I also read that we had three events in a row: the Rolex series in France, Ireland, and Scotland, where they had stronger fields than the PGA Tour. Right. Yeah. Those three weeks, yeah. and that that hasn't. I don't think that's happened for the European Tour three weeks in a row before. So, you know, obviously, with the inclusion of that Rolex series. It's been a huge boost to the European Tour, and um, you know it looks like it's it's going to continue trending that way. And um, even if you look at the world rankings, there's so many more Europeans now ranked a lot higher yeah. in the in the world rankings than there was maybe five or ten years ago. So Europe's obviously doing something right in that regard. So one thing I did want to ask you is about golf in New Zealand. So people in this country, people who certainly people who pick up Golf Monthly magazine, will have seen photographs of Cape Kidnappers and Carrie Cliffs and some of the, you know, incredibly beautiful golf courses in New Zealand. How, having played, you know, some of our great golf courses in the UK, I'm talking about. How did the great golf courses in New Zealand compare to the likes of Birkdale and you played Port Stewart? I presume you've played some of the other absolute yeah. gems we've got. Over St there. Andrews, Carnoustie, all yeah. The, yeah. It's quite different. I mean, obviously, you've got the history in the UK that we don't have in New Zealand. So that adds a lot to, you know, turning up to Carnoustie or St Andrews or Birkdale. You know, 
all the tournament history there, all the just you know they've been around for so long. There's something special about them. We don't we don't have that in New Zealand, but I think what we're lucky we have is we have we have some absolutely spectacular mm-hmm. golf courses viewing wise. Um, you know, Cape Kidnappers, Carry Cliffs are two that come to mind like that. You know, right on top of cliffs. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's a tee box at Cape Kidnappers that you know if you jumped the fence and took an extra step you'd fall 50 meters into the into the ocean below you know you it's pretty hard to find that <laughs> anywhere <laughs> anywhere, in, yeah. anywhere in the world and um you know we've got a new one as well called tar which i think has just debuted in the top 30 in the world right um, designed by tom doak and that's much more link style right okay. um which is a bit closer to what what some of the iconic courses are over here, and um, but that's got the views on top of it of a you know, fifteen holes with ocean views and yeah, um, yeah. We've certainly got a lot of really good golf courses. We probably we've probably got ten, ten or twelve that are that are well above the rest mm-hmm. in terms right, of, okay. and and most of those are resort tourist driven golf courses. Maybe apart from Taridi. Um, and we've got a few really good members courses around, but we've got nothing like the UK does in terms of the numbers of you know, members really courses. Great golf yeah, and, yeah. You know, and we probably don't have the hidden gems that you guys ha- have here. You know, um, some of the some of the Scottish Links courses that you've not necessarily that aren't famous for holding opens, but you can yeah. turn up and just go, wow, this is a this is a proper golf course. Yeah. Or yeah, you know, say Port Stewart. Yeah, you know it's obviously good enough to hold an Irish Open, but doesn't have open history. It's you know you hear of the two courses around that area. You hear Port Rush and Royal County Down. Yeah, but I mean Port Stewart was just unbelievable. Little, little. I always um, feel that that's the hard, one of the hardest opening tee shots in golf. Mm. Maybe only because yeah, as an amateur, you more often not going to block one out into the. It's just hell on the right hand side, isn't yep. there? Was it intimidating for you guys? No, it was. It didn't look like it. I was, I, it was, it was that, that was a, it was a it was a weird dynamic that week for the golf course because I played it on Tuesday. Didn't wasn't in the pro am, and on Tuesday it was wet. It was windy. Right. And they had a whole bunch of rough. I reckon I shot five over on Tuesday. <laughs> going, right. Wow, this golf course it's is hard. It's hard, and like the first tee shot was really hard. It's, it was blowing hard out of the right, which makes it tough to hit it in the right stuff yeah, yeah yeah but the rough on the left if you hit it in there you were hacking it back on the fairway you couldn't get to the green and then turn up the first round and I was Rory's playing and I'm about five groups behind Rory and there's however many thousand people following him and all of a sudden all the roughs trampled down and you can kind of hit it anywhere um, <laughs> so it you know see you've always golf courses are much easier for you guys than they are for us well yeah I mean <laughs> So you know, someone like Rory can almost never lose a ball, right? There's so many <laughs> the people tournament. looking for it the whole time. If he'd have shanked one off the uh, what is sixty or fifty, at the yeah, Scottish no, no, <laughs> he, he wouldn't have had the luxury I had of uh, <laughs> making par. But yeah, look, it's yeah, we we are lucky in that respect. You know, we get to play the golf courses in probably the best condition they'll they'll ever be in. Um, and then yeah, you've got the rough gets trampled down. You know, it's almost better so playing an open or playing some of those links golf courses to miss it way offline than it is to just miss it yeah. because yeah, that's true. where all the all the crowds trampled everything down yeah um yeah we 
we do get very, very lucky in that regard. <laughs> but then they're about a thousand yards longer than the, the version we would play. So yeah, yeah, but you know, we've brought most yeah. of us hit it far enough that that thousand yards doesn't, doesn't necessarily to mean too much of a difference. Yeah, yeah. Okay, right. Well, we're going to finish up now with some quick fire questions. How well do you know your own your own golf game? Mm, we're going to find out. Uh, okay, so 2017 season has just finished. What was your finishing stroke average? I'm going to say like 70.5 or something. 70.9. Okay. Is it something that you would pay attention to then? No, right. not particularly. I'm not really a stats man, to be fair. <laughs> um, well, I've already, I was, the next one I was going to ask you how far you hit the ball off the tee, but I've already told you that. Yeah. Uh, so how, what was your greens in reg percentage in 2017? Mm, 73. 72.6. Oh, that was a good guess. Which is, it, I mean, that struck me as being incredibly high. Yeah, yeah I've always... I've, Iron play's probably been the strength of my game for the most part. Now, obviously, I've got the length part, yeah. which helps me helps hit less club into a lot of greens, both with the irons and obviously it going a bit further off the tee. But I've always been pretty good distance control wise with my irons, and um, yeah, obviously it showed a little bit this year. Well, yeah. Um, what was your first ever European Tour event? My first. Don't look at my notes. I saw oh, you no, no, I know, I know this one. I played the. Actually, I played the New Zealand Open in 2000 and I'm going to say five or six. Six. Yeah. Aged? 19. I qualified. I remember I shot 71 in the one. Uh, there was two qualifiers. I shot 71 in both of the qualifiers to get in. And then I finished about fifth to last. <laughs> and so I was going to ask you, what did you shoot? Uh, I shot 80 something, a lot. <laughs> And then 78 or 77 or something. 82, 77. Yeah. Mm. That's, I mean, I mean, at age 19, that's impressive. At, at, I know, looking I, back. I, I, at that stage, I've been playing tournament golf less than a year. Really? Yeah. And qualified. My dad was on the bag. And I, I do remember the first day it blew ridiculously hard. And I didn't, I had it all over the planet anyway <laughs> at that point. I remember start, I started birdie, eagle, bird, uh, sorry, par, eagle to get on the leaderboard and then I think I made a, a nine and a couple of sevens that day to shoot 82 and got off the golf course and someone had shot 68 and I'd just scratched my head and gone, I might be in the wrong game here. <laughs> well, good job you didn't, you know, didn't act on that. So what was your lowest round in 2017? Lowest score? Lowest score. Well, you can't count. I shot 64 at the New Zealand Open, but that can't count. So no, 60. I didn't count that, sorry. Um, <laughs> 66 somewhere. I had a few of those. You shot 65 in Crab. Oh, yeah, in that's, a, that's a par 70. That's why. Yeah. Uh, and then flip side, what was your highest round of the year? Um, a couple of high 70s somewhere. It was a 78 of the US PGA. Yeah, that's fair. That was hard. <laughs> um, at least I had an 86 last year at um, Valderrama. Right. So thankfully, <laughs> it's not that high. Valderrama is hard, though. Yeah. Uh, um, yes, <laughs> yes, it really is. <laughs> uh, how many euros did you wi win for winning in Northern Ireland on the Challenge Tour in 2016? 27 and a bit. 27,200. Yeah. Very good. I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and finally, how many under par wa were you to win that tournament? Win that tournament. Mm. I have no idea, but I shot 
nine the last day. I think it was 20, 19 or 20. 19. Yeah. 19. Um, well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Um, it's been fascinating to chat to you and uh, good luck in 2018. Thanks, Neil. Okay, so that was Ryan Fox, the first of our, our new uh, podcast interviews. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review. Uh, we've got some uh, really interesting interviews to come as well. So we've got Alfie Plant, the silver medalist at the Open at Royal Birkdale. We've got James Heath, who was uh, a sort of Faldo protege, one of the highest ranked amateurs of his generation in the early 2000s. Came out on tour, did well, then struggled for a while. Now he's back. He's won his uh, full European tour card for 2018. He's got a really fascinating story to tell. Um, so we've got some really interesting guys to come. If you did enjoy it, leave us a review. But until next time, it's goodbye.